What you about to witness is my thoughts. Just my thoughts, man. Welcome, my brother. How you doing? Good, man. Good. Cheers to you. Thanks for having a beer with me. Appreciate it. Dude, I just finished up phase one. Um, haven't had a drink in 30 days, so I had a uh, shot of whiskey at noon. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. I was sitting at work. I was jealous. But <laughs> As soon as the clock struck noon, it was time to have a drink. So how did it feel? How many times have you done phase one now? This is my first time completing it. Okay. I failed the first two times. It was... Uh, Dude, the cold showers suck. Yeah. The extra powerless items suck. Yeah. But this time, I, my, my goal at the beginning of the year was to finish the entire program. So, 75 hard, phase one, phase two, phase three. You have to do it all in one calendar year. Yep. So, that's my literally my only goal for 2021 was to do this program. Because whenever I do it, everything else in my life just gets better. Yep. So, yeah. Done with phase one. The cold showers were a bitch. But... So I did 75 hard last year, but I haven't done phase one or mm-hmm. phase two yet. So it'd be something I need to do. What do you think you got from it? I think this time I got, um, this time I feel like habits stuck with me. Um, in the past 75, like the first time I did 75 hard was like the biggest mental toughness gains I've ever had. Yeah. It was also while my son was in the hospital. So it really kept me grounded. Um, but then the second time was more of a tune up. Because, you know, I knew I could do it. I knew that it's not about, like, how hard it is. It's more about just committing to doing it and doing it. And then phase one I tried last year and failed. It was weird because it was more like I just gave up instead mm-hmm. of – because it was just tough. Uh, then this year I didn't have any problem. And it's a five-minute cold shower every day? Yeah, five straight minutes. I think I would rather have, like, the ice barrel and do that. I know. Showers. Pass the ass. Talking to Zach a couple weeks ago, and he's like, dude, cold showers are worse than the ice bath. And it makes sense because, like, you have the air whenever you're in the shower. Yeah. That makes it worse. But after a while, it got, like, doable. Like, the last couple, last week or so, it was just like, all right, we're just going to do it. Sorry. Okay, good. Beer in a while. I'm getting all these bubbles coming yeah. up. Call me suds. So what is the, uh, is there anything from it that you think you'll continue to do? daily yeah um making my bed writing and reaching out to a new prospect every day those are new habits that i wanted to pick up from it and i feel like they're ingrained in me now so business is growing um beds always made and i've been writing a lot so part of it or one of my things was had to write or create every day so i've been writing a lot um sharing a lot that's good. We should probably back up and introduce you. Yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Just My Thoughts. Got my friend, Mr. Garrett Winnegar. He's a brother, fraternal brother of mine, and he's also the head basketball coach for Fisher's High School, probably the youngest coach ever of like a 5A school, right? Probably. I, I, I took over at Warren Central two years ago when I was 27, so I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if anyone's ever been that young, but yeah, it was a, I get... All the time, like refs will come over to my bench, and I have a couple assistants who are like in their fifties, and they'll just start talking to them, and they'll be like, <laughs> "Oh wait, he's the head coach." Dang, so, really? It's just, but uh, you know, it's it's been it's been good. Um, there's challenges being younger, just getting that respect. You know, it's such mm-hmm. a coaching is an old older guy's game. You know, you don't see a lot of young guys, um, so just 
gaining that respect through just work ethic and things I feel like we've been able to accomplish has been good, but I'm always learning. You know, there's yeah. always something that I don't know how to handle, and it's just about figuring out. What's it like coaching a bunch of little shithead high school kids? I've I know been you're lucky. not going to say that. Yeah, but. no, I've been lucky. I've had good groups. Like our first, <clears throat> my first group at Warren, we took over like seven of our top eight graduated. So I was taking over pretty much a completely new team. And they really bought into like what we were trying to do and had a lot of success. And that, that led me to getting the Fisher job. And we have a really good group of kids right now. But, you you know, it's just different at the college level or pro. Like there's a certain level of like you don't have to coach certain things. Like they're going to come. They're going to be on time. They're going to – well, right. you hope. But like yeah. a lot of those things, like that's what high school coaching is. It's like teaching them how to be professionals more than just teaching the game, you know, like what the expectations are and stuff like that. So Now you, you played in high school, right? Yeah. Where are you from? Rochester, Indiana. Okay. Man, so. I played with a kid that was from there. Bruce. Uh, Bruce Grimm. Yeah, Bruce Grimm. Yeah, he was uh, on my Indiana Lee team. Mm-hmm. He was good. Yeah, so we went to – I loosely played. I guarded Bruce every day in practice. That's what I yeah. did. But uh, we went to state his senior year, and he was he was uh, crazy. He had like 40 in the state game. We lost in double no overtime. Shit. Yeah. See, he was like – he wasn't that good whenever we played together. I think yeah. we were freshmen. And then over the next couple of years, yeah, he got really good. Yeah, he's a stud. He he uh he still does some training and stuff. I think he lives in Rochester or Warsaw or something like that up really? that way. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. But I like I have to connect with that dude. Yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, how did you get started in basketball coaching, and especially so young? Like. Yeah, when we were at IU, so after so it would have been my senior year. So after you graduated, I I was in sports journalism. I was going to talk to you because I like writing. I've been trying to write more too, but uh. I was in a sports journalism program, so you always get emails from like IU, like, "Hey, there's a coaching opportunity." Just because I was in the sports marketing and management, so they would send stuff. And there was like this middle school coaching job, and I was like, "Yeah, screw it, I'll you know get a resume builder." And by like Christmas, like we started like October, mid October, and by like Christmas, I called my dad. I'm like, "Yeah, I think this is what I'm gonna do. Like, I'm gonna change my whole career, you know." So I went back to school, added a teaching license, and decided I was gonna coach. And I got lucky enough that I coached there for two years. And the high school coach at Bloomington South is the winningest all-time coach in Indiana history. Has like over 800 wins. So Damn. I got offered the junior varsity job at North, but I kind of went to him as just like, you know, I'm not trying to go over there. You know, I'd rather learn from you. So he brought me on staff there, and I was able to help coach freshmen and coach with him. And then one of his longtime assistants was in there for his first year at Warren. Uh, his name's Chris Byers, and he called me and was able to offer me a job at Warren. And I got offered the t- a teaching job and a coaching job at Warren like on a Monday and the night before my wife made the cold cheerleading team. So like within a 12 hour span, we both like needed to move to Indy and we were just dating at the time, but it just kind of like, yeah, kind of aligned like it was what was supposed to happen. And then once I got here, it was just kind of snowball from there. And we at Warren over my three years as an assistant, we were 76 and six and in 18, we went 32 and 0 and had the best record in the history of Indiana. So it kind of like catapulted me a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah so okay. I just. God bless to have really good coaches, really, that I work for that kind of kind of paved the way for me. Yeah, but, I mean, from, as a friend that, like, I see you posting on your stories every day, that kind of stuff, like, you're putting the work in. Like, you put the work in, man. It, it's cool to see how disciplined you are with it. Yeah, I think high school coaches in general, like, if you're doing it, you're doing it because you love it. You know, you're not getting – obviously, like, outside with training and stuff, there's money to be made, but as far as high school coaching goes, like, it's not for money, so – you know, to get to where I'm at at my age, you gotta you gotta separate yourself somehow. And for me, that's always just been like I'm gonna be the one who's there. And mm-hmm. like our guys know that. Like if they come at 6 a.m., I'm gonna be I'm already there, so they can get shots up and stuff like that. And that's been that's how I kind of established myself at Warren. Like you know, my get it get up and get it get stuff that all started it. there. I'm gonna be there. 
6 a.m., like, let's go, let's get in the gym, let's get after it. And that's kind of, you know, I had a dean tell me there when I interviewed for the head coaching job, he said, the only car who's here when I get here is yours, and the only car who's here when I leave is yours. That's and, awesome, and I was man. like, all right, that made me feel pretty good. So That's so, a hell of a compliment. Now my – my wife probably doesn't like that, but yeah. but we've I've learned to balance it more. Like mm-hmm. my first few years, it was just go go go, and now I've learned to do both. Yeah, you know, successfully I think so. Mm-hmm. Has it been so? We had sons pretty close to the same time. When, yeah. when was your son born? April twenty eighth. Okay, yeah. So about two months after mine, mm-hmm. and I know for me that was a huge life changer as far as like balancing work and yeah. family. What's it been like for you? Because for me, like I can I can take a day off whenever I want. I yeah. can do this or like take an hour or two. But, like, you have a responsibility to a group of young men. Yeah. How's that? Well, that was the motivation, really, for taking the Fisher's job. Like, you know, at Warren, I was a head coach in the MIC, which is the best probably basketball conference in the country at a young age. Most people would see taking the Fisher's job as, as maybe a, a lateral move or a step down, but I'm five minutes from my house now. So that was the whole move. Like, we, I knew my wife was pregnant at the time, and I was like, I want to be home with my son. But then once – he came obviously it kind of changed everything it just changed my motivation for everything like i want to work harder because mm-hmm. i have him but then again like i want to find a way to do that where i can be around him you yeah. know so it's like whether that's delegating a little more to my assistants which i've learned to do this year and like trusting those guys to do their jobs so i can go home some or just not always having to be the one to open the doors at 6 a.m you know stuff like that I don't want to take away from I feel like what my advantage is, which is putting in that work. But sometimes, you know, learning to take a yeah. step back has been it's been a challenge for me. But I'm working on that, and I think, you know, with your wife, it's not that you don't miss your wife, but you can talk to your wife on the phone. She knows what you're doing. Like right. with your son, it's hard because like he don't he doesn't know where I'm at, you know. So I just want to make sure I'm always coming home and he's knowing that dad's involved. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I bet. So I mean, what's it like? having to delegate that stuff because i know for a workhorse from experience it's really hard to delegate shit because it's like why would i give somebody else a job to do when i can do it better yeah you know but then you get stuck in this place where you're doing so much that you don't have time for anything else what's that like as a basketball coach yeah it's there's some things when that i've learned like okay i'm comfortable delegating that because if it doesn't get done exactly how i would have done it it's okay yeah then there's other things where like i've just decided like i'm gonna do that but then I have to get be- start to learn that it doesn't have to always be the exact way that I want it to be done. But I'm pretty particular. Like when it comes to like scouting and scouting reports and just things that we do, I'm pretty particular with how I want things done. So a big thing for me is just getting better at the communication aspect of like here's how it needs to be done and then being able to bring people along to do it how I want it done basically and how, how I feel like it's going to best help our players. Like whereas before – I'd maybe give someone a job, they didn't do it right, but I'd just get pissed and be like, oh, you, you can't do it. You know, and then mm-hmm. I'd do it again. Well, instead of that, like, the real thing is, like, I, I'm not only trying to mentor the players, like, I'm trying to bring coaches along, too. So how can I help them get to where I feel like it needs to be without just being impatient, which yeah. is something that I'm not very good at, so. Right. So do you have, like, a a general philosophy that you follow? As far as, like, basketball in general or – well, I guess I'm guessing, this is just a guess, but I'm guessing that your philosophy for how a basketball organization should be run probably yeah. correlates to how your family should be run, how your yeah. life should be run. Yeah, I mean, my with to tie them all together, it's just in general that we have to be the most prepared team. And I think with your family, it's the same way. You want to be prepared for every situation. And if you're doing the prep, then you know it's right. So I probably need to, you know, 
tying it to my family, like communicating better with coaches is something I probably need to communicate better with my wife. You know, it's all you start to see how these things tie in, you know, and uh, the communication aspect, like it's just something that I'm constantly working on. Like, and I see guys on Twitter, you know, following all kinds of guys that we, we have in common of just people we follow. It's like, I feel like they're probably a lot better at the communication piece than me. Whereas like showing up, working hard, being disciplined, like I'm pretty good at those things. Just mm -hmm. constantly being able to communicate with those under me in my job, but also with people at home and my friends is just something I'm, I'm balancing because I am so go, go, go with what yeah. I'm trying to accomplish. Do you have any, um, like who, who do, you, do you admire yourself after anybody, like any coaches? I just try to, that you admire. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys I really, I admire. I try to read pretty much all the good coaches. Like in my office, I just keep a whole bunch of coaching books and try to like have them available for my assistants. But guys right now that I really like, um, I like guys who put a focus on player development. Like I think, especially at the high school level, it's hard. Coaches are balancing a lot of things. There's not a lot of player development, like actually getting kids better. So I, I like to look at the college level and see like who who are guys who are getting people to the NBA, you know, and who how are they developing players? How are they building relationships? And like there's kind of two schools of thought with that. There's like the trainers, and there's some good guys, and then coaches. But coaching wise, I mean, I'm a Indiana guy, so like I've read every night book, and and I try to. You try to take the good from everybody and the bad, and then not take the bad, maybe. Yeah. Um, but um, I was a kid. I read. Uh, I just had to look it up. It was a book by Coach K, Five Point Play. Oh, nice. And I remember reading that book. And I was like, man. And I was having dreams about playing. Yeah. And goddamn. So I didn't realize that coaches like have these many books. I'm looking at this right here. It's oh, there's a ton. So he has another book called Leading with the Heart. I think it's pretty good. Um, yeah, most of the big coaches have written books. A really good one, like. Uh, Pat Riley's is called The Winner Within. It's really good. And, that uh, sounds like one that would apply to life because he yeah. seems like a bad dude. Yeah, it's really good. And then Dean Smith has one too that actually each chapter that he talks about a basketball concept, he has someone in business come in and, and write a, like a secondary piece that ties it to business. It's really good. I, have I like it. that. I'll, I'll let you borrow that if I you want. But to. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I, you probably know that I'm just like a big bookhead. I've actually yeah. slowed down on my reading. Not because I want to learn less, but because I was too wide. Like, I've read so many fucking books, and at some point, like, personal development books really all say the same shit. Yeah. And it's better for me to just, like, study something deeply at this point. Um, but, I mean, I would like to read The uh, Leading with the Heart, because that sounds like something that can apply to life. But The Winner Within, yeah. Pat Riley, I, yeah. I just like Pat Riley. I mean, he runs yeah. an organization down there that just, they're winners. Yeah. Like, last year's team shouldn't have made the finals. No, he's great. He told a story in his book. I don't remember what it was, but it was like when he got the job with the Lakers and they had a bunch of young talent, Magic, all those guys, he came in. The first thing he wrote on the board, he just wrote, you're either with us or against us. And he just put that, and he has this whole thing in the book about how he was like, just how he set the tone with the organization. Obviously, they went in on to win like three or four you know, NBA championships in the 80s and stuff, but I think he's a guy who's proven he can – it's really hard for coaches to go from the coaching to the GM to, to do all these different roles in the organization, and he's been successful at every one, which, yeah. which shows his ability to lead but also manage people yeah. at every level. He's been extremely successful. Yeah, I'm wondering how hard that has to be for you. I, we kind of touched on it, but, like, I can't imagine how hard it would be to see, like, some young kid that's just an absolute stud but not putting in the work. Yeah, and we deal with that, other things like that a lot. Unfortunately, your your most talented players aren't, aren't always your hardest workers. Yeah. And a big problem today with youth basketball is there's always another team that can always go play AAU. And right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of issues with that that people listening probably aren't that interested in. But 
the the model of youth basketball and youth sports in general right now is kind of de-emphasized working mm-hmm. and you know it's all about playing games 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 because there's so much money to be made in the in the in that you know yeah. these tournaments whether it's soccer baseball basketball it's big money now i mean people I that are hosting that. yeah i mean you think like like we hosted a prep hoops event last week and there was over 200 teams and it was 500 dollars a team to get into the event Dang. and then it's 25 dollars for the weekend at the gate for their parents to get in so i mean these are like that's big money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on a weekend that these companies are making. So, yeah, you're going to constantly want the kids playing, playing, playing. But mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what's best for the development of a basketball player. You know, like. I wonder how, mu- how much dirty money is getting into AAU. Oh, it's it's huge. I yeah. mean, just you saw like last year with Nike and Adidas and the, the lawsuits that came out and some of the, you know, the FBI investigations. It's it's deeper in, in college than people know. Yeah. But now, which camp are you in? Do you think that college athletes should get paid? I do not. I think they are paid. Like, I'm completely cool with the new thing with them making money off their likeness, which is changing July 1st. Okay. Yeah, can you explain that? So, like, start – I don't know exactly and I haven't done a ton of research, but how I understand it is starting July 1st, like, if you're Jeremy McGrew, you're a big-time college athlete, you could set up a booth and charge people for autographs. I should start doing that anyway. Or you, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you sit out front right here at yeah. the bar. Um, you front of Starbucks. Yeah. Autographs, five bucks. Or you could, you know, sell your jersey that you have online with your name on the back and make money off of it. Stuff like that, which they're not allowed to do. It's, a, it's illegal right now. will be legal, okay. as I understand it. But they still won't necessarily be getting paid. My thing with the getting paid is just there's a lot of logistics that don't make sense to it. Like, boys basketball and football are the only two sports that, that make money. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else right. is in the red. So it's like, are just those, those athletes getting paid? Like, how are we going to? And those sports pay for, you know, all the other sports, whether it's girl or boy sports, that they are paid for from the profits of those. So definitely the money in college football and college basketball has gotten so big. Like, I mean, you see that with coaches' contracts. Like, Kyle yeah. Parry's making like $9 million a year or something, you know. So it's pretty crazy. But the logistics of actually paying all college athletes, I think I'm not sure how it all works out. But And I do think it will – it will devalue the sport a little bit. Yeah. Like, there's something special about a kid playing for his university, you know, rather than playing to make money. You mm-hmm. know, and in my eyes, like you go play basketball at Indiana University, you're you're getting paid thirty thousand dollars a year plus gear plus food. Like you you are getting paid, but now should they receive some type of stipend or or money or like be you know some kind of account started in their name? Possibly, I'm open to those ideas, but just overall, I'm not sure how it all works out. And when people talk about it, all they say is like, "Oh, there's all this money." But if you really break it down, like what college athletic departments are bringing in, paying for all these other sports, I just wonder how how that would work. Yeah, that's one point I've really never thought about: the fact that the only two sports that make money are football and men's basketball. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes a lot more sense on the uh, the argument against it. Um, I mean. But I also remember college, there was, like, also a lot of student-athletes, like, selling weed. Like, that shouldn't yeah. be necessary for them. No, and that's where I think a stipend of some kind, like a living stipend. And some of the schools do kind of have that. But, you know, I think no matter how much they get paid, you're still going to have dudes selling weed. Like, yeah. there's yeah. always more money to be made. Right. So, yeah. like, if they, even if they get paid, let's say they make 50 grand a year, you're still going to have dudes who, who come from where they're selling weed before they got there, and they're going to keep doing it. So I don't know that necessarily would solve those problems, but – yeah that's a good point you know i remember yeah i was a uh marijuana entrepreneur myself for a while and uh yeah i don't think that i don't think it was really about making money it was more about like 
or about having enough money is more about like let's just make money yeah and that's the easiest way to do it especially yeah. in like fraternity but yeah now do you know anything about like what's going on at IU like the Greek life at IU now I've briefly heard some things but it, I just know it's changed a lot yeah. I don't know the like the whole you can maybe give me a quick review of what's going on I don't know shit I thought I'd ask you because you were there what like one year after yeah me? I think after I think there's been a lot of changes even just like how everything we did tailgating fields all that stuff yeah. I think it's all kind of been changed so I don't know Jim, when I was the beginning of when I was there we were having we had handles out on the tailgate fields yeah. and now they don't allow that no, I think they changed everything. Like, so my last year, second to last year, is when they put the tents out. Did you, were you there for that? Nope. So that must have been my senior year. They put a whole bunch of tents out, and you had to be, like, within these tents on the tailgating field if you are in fraternities, and then everything else was, like, for families and stuff. Like, you know, the big white, like, canopy-type tents. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what else has changed outside of that. I know it's – I know they've cracked down quite a bit. Yeah. Man. The world needs Greek organizations. Well, like we were talking about a little bit off the air, everything has become about optics. Mm-hmm. So people in leadership positions, I truly believe this, people in leadership positions now, instead, there you so go, loud. I picked it up. <laughs> instead of making decisions based, like I know you make, based on your values and what you believe is right, mm-hmm. people now make decisions based on what is going to keep the most amount of people happy. Yeah. And that's what I've I mean. been in that position before too. Yeah, like saying things that like okay, and no, this isn't going to make anybody really mad, but it's going to. Some people will like it, but other people won't be mad about it. Yeah. But now I'm at the at a place in my life where I'm like, that's no way to live, man. Yeah. I'm trying to please everybody. And you, as a entrepreneur, and, and what you do, you have the freedom to right pretty much yeah. say what you want. Mm-hmm. As an educator and, and a coach, mm-hmm. you know I have to be aware of what I say, you know, and, um, sometimes make decisions based on optics and and what's going to keep people happy. And I try to toe the line between like not doing anything to offend anybody, but also still be being my own man. Like, and that's, that is a challenging thing that I've, I'm, I'm balancing. And I think all probably like public people like coaches and things probably have to deal with to some extent. I don't want to put you in a bad spot, but I can't imagine having to deal with soccer moms and like, that whole side of things, especially in like a an affluent side yeah. of town, like I'm sure there's a lot of like politics that people are trying to play. Yeah, there the uh, you know I, I couldn't have been in two more different districts. You know, to come from Warren Central, it's a lot of poverty there and just different different environment than to go to to Fishers where it is affluent. But there's a little there's a mix of both, but it is affluent. You have a lot of over, helicopter parents over involved wanting to you know jockey for. Yeah. For power. I don't even necessarily think it's always about, like, benefiting their kid. It's just they want the power really? of, like, being connected. And, That's you know, interesting. Talking to the coach, things mm-hmm. like that. And it's I, – I try to be honest but, like, pretty guarded about the yeah. relationships with, with parents and, and not letting – back to the optics, not letting anything look like anybody's getting advantage. But everybody knows if they – I bet that's hard. If they played for me or met me, like, the best kids are going to play. Yeah. It, it don't matter what you do. If you're yeah. a parent, like, you, if your son's good enough, he's going to play. If he's not good enough, he's not going to play. Well, I mean, your number one goal is winning. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in high school athletics, it's one and one A. You do want to develop young men, and that's a, that's a mission. Like, I want kids to leave our program as better adults and humans. Mm-hmm. Like, but I want to win. I mean, that's why – they don't hire you to lose, right. you know? So yeah, our goal is to win. And 
I believe you develop young men through winning. Mm-hmm. Like success totally is success you. is a powerful tool. Like yeah. if we preach discipline and sacrifice and getting in the weight room and getting all these shots up and how it's going to apply to life, but then they get their faces kicked in every night. And they're not going to be too excited about doing those things in business one day. But if yeah. they do all those things and then they reap the rewards from it, then they're going to be more likely to do those things later in life. So I think winning and development go hand in hand. I think winning is um, winning is a skill. Like it's something that needs you have to learn how to win. Like yeah. LeBron, like unbelievable generational athlete, he had to learn how to win. Yeah. He couldn't win until he learned how to win. And I think winning becomes, like I said, it's a skill, but it's also becomes a habit. And the yeah. more you win, whether it be on bas- in basketball or anything else, becomes like more of who you are. Yeah. So. <laughs> That was one of the things we came in, like Fishers as a school has only been in school since 06. So right. there's two high schools in the district. Right. So it's split in 06 and they've only been in school since 06. They've had some success the last few years, but have never won the sectional. Car- they're in the same sectional as Carmel and Carmel pretty much dominates the sectional, but never won a sectional, only won the conference once. So in my belief, they don't expect to win. You know, it's like, not that they don't work hard, but like expecting to like, if you expect to win, you're going to win a lot right. more often. Like in business, you expect to be successful in what you're doing, and usually you're going to be successful. I love that. Now, you might not always be, but you ex- you're going to be more surprised if you're not successful than like, oh, I'm just doing another venture that's probably going to fail. Yeah. And so the first thing we came in is I, I put above like, rep, you know, like Notre Dame puts up like play like a champion today. Mm-hmm. I put up a sign that just says expect to win. So I like when they that. walk out of the locker room, that's what they see on the way out to the gym is, expect to win our practice plan every day says expect to win like every email i send to parents at the bottom says expect to win like i i want that to be like like we're not being shy about the fact that we're coming to win that's awesome man now i don't i don't know if this is a question you can answer right now but somebody with the amount of uh success and the in the level the high level of jobs you've you've had so far in your life at a young age seems like somebody that might be fit for moving on to college professional is that something that you think about or are you solely focused on the job i know you're focused on yeah. the job but i mean right now um that was always my goal like when i started and i decided this is what i'm going to do it was always like i'm going to do the high school thing kind of climb and then make that jump now things change in your life you get married you have a son and and now i'm like trying to figure out what that looks like mm-hmm. and uh I, that's always in the back of my mind i mean at the end of the day that's what i i want to do i want to get to the college ranks and coach college basketball that's at the end of the day what i want to do it's just a matter of like when does that make sense yeah and right now i'm in a really good spot like we will have a really talented team next year and like with what we're doing at the youth levels and how we're kind of building our program like i think we have a chance to have a lot of success over the next like five to ten years so it's just a matter of like you know when when does it make sense to go the college route and it's not always it's not like you win a bunch in high school and then get the IU job. You know, right, you're going to have to yeah. go to college and start back at, like, a video coordinator or something right, like that yeah. making crap money. So it's like you almost need to do it early. But then again, it's, like, hard to do early when you got a family and you're starting family and all those things. Right, so yeah. it's it's something I'm trying to figure out, trying to navigate, and I'm just kind of, like, letting letting God take the wheel on that. Like, whatever opportunities come, then I'll, I'll, I'll walk through them. But mm-hmm. right now I'm, I like where I'm at, and I think we – we should have a chance to be like a top ten team in the state next year. Oh, that's pretty good. consistently. Yeah, we got four of our five starters back and about ninety percent of our scoring, so we should be pretty good. So. Nice. One of my favorite stories is uh, Eric Spolstra, like starting from he was video coordinator, mm-hmm. right, with the Heat. And yeah. Now he's there, not only the head coach, but he's won championships. Yeah. Considered one of the best coaches in the league. Like that's just, I'm, I can't imagine the 
how much you have to humble yourself to go from being like a head coach at yeah. a great school like you're at to being like a video coordinator at a D eighteen college. Yeah, and that's what it would be. I mean, yeah. it's all about relationships, like anything else. Like I think with the people I've been able to build relationships with, I could probably go, you know, get a video coordinator job at a, at a D one school. But you go from being the one making the decisions and being in charge and running the offense and the defense you want to. Uh, you know, watching film 15 hours a day and being told what to do and stuff. So that is, you know, that's something you, where you, you have to go into it like I'm going to learn and, and get better. And that's Eric Sprolstra, Frank Vogel, like all these guys. Yeah. A lot of them started at that video coordinator level and just grinded, you know, and just proved their worth there and then worked their way up. The Sprolstra story is pretty cool, being mm-hmm. with one organization and the things he's been able to do. It's, it's I don't know, it's it's pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, you look at those two guys, and then you look at like Brad Stevens leaving Eli Lilly, being an unpaid assistant at, Butler, assistant at Butler, becoming the head coach, two Final Fours, and then like boom, he's the head coach of the Celtics. Celtics it's yeah, like the winningest. It's unbelievable. Like in a ten-year span, he went from working at Eli Lilly, not in coaching, to being the head coach of the biggest sports basketball organization in the in the world. You know, it's pretty crazy. So, did the Lakers tie them in championships last year? I'm not sure. I think the Celtics have 17. I, I think, think that's the Lakers too. Yeah. But I mean, either way, like the Celtics is like the basketball yeah. organization. I, I gotta, I gotta know this. You need to get yourself a what's the Joe Rogan dude's name? Yeah, <laughs> Jamie. <pull that laughs> yeah, up. you need a Jamie. I'm actually uh, working on that. I'm gonna have one this summer probably. Ryan and I are going super duper hard on content this summer. Speaking of Ryan, he's supposed to stop by. Podcast stuff or just. Business stuff or both? Both. Um, podcast stuff. So we're starting our Scallywag Radio for basically our business podcast. I'm still going to do this. He's probably still going to do his podcast. But um, we're going super hard on that Scallywag Radio. And then our marketing business is doing really well. Um, but we're going to start hiring some younger younger dudes that want to just go hard. So anybody listening, if you want to uh, be a Scallywag with us, just let me know. Hit me up and uh, message or something like that. See if we can get you on. I saw he just moved back. Is he back officially? He's back officially, man. I'm pumped. Yeah. I haven't uh, haven't drank beer during the podcast in a while, so I got to piss so bad. You're so, good. You going to pause it? Yep. Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I usually just let people talk, but I'm not going to put you through that right now. I just I saw the one video of Quan Brown just we're back on by going off. Alright. Yeah, dude, I was watching I watched about thirty minutes of his YouTube earlier and oh my god, I was cracking up. Kwame Brown has just been going ham on a lot of people recently. I feel so I just saw Matt Barnes invite him on the podcast. I haven't really been keeping up with it, but he's gonna get roasted, I feel like. Like he he's pretty widely considered like one of the biggest busts ever. Right. You know, so I feel like they're about to go in a little bit. So it'll be him. Is it Gilbert Arenas who's on that podcast with Matt Barnes? I think it is. No, it's uh, um, Stephen oh, Jackson. Oh, Stephen Jackson, yeah. Yeah, so he's like uh, Stephen Jackson running up in the stands, punching five, seven little white boys. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, he's killing them. Dude, everything that he's saying is kind of making sense, though. Yeah, and then he went no. after Jamel Hill and Stephen A. Smith. He's just on one. What was he saying about them? Uh, I can't even say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it. Uh Calling Stephen A. Smith a uh, bald head, calling Jamal Smith basically just a dumbass, a girl that needs to mind her own business. Funny stuff, but yeah, he's been going ham. But uh, we, were, we were talking about winning. Um, you've, have you ever listened to Tim Grover? 
Oh yeah, I read the, read this first book. I haven't yeah. read the newest one that just New came one, out. Yeah, it just came out yesterday. It's, it's. I'm hoping it's delivered. It was supposed to be delivered yesterday, but Amazon was running behind, and they were very sorry. Let me see if it's there. I can't wait to read it. I love his his first book was awesome. Not coming up. I assume you watched the Last Dance. He got a little love, I think, in there for mm-hmm. working with Jordan and stuff. Yeah, I watched The Last Dance. It was a great documentary about the second greatest player of all time. I don't even want to get into this because <laughs> you know where I, you know where I stand on all this. Right. Why is Jordan better? I can go. I wish I would have saved this, but it was a. Uh, I'm a I'm a defensive first guy. So I, I first off, I think Jordan is like probably the best defensive two guard ever. I, as far as like just locking people up. Did he ever guard a five? I'm, I'm talking about two guard, but <laughs> you're, I mean, you are right that LeBron can guard more positions. That is correct. But <clears throat> I saw a stat the other day, and this is just an example. It was like players who have been first team all defense in the NBA, and also led the league in scoring. And it was like Jerry West in 1970, Kobe in 05 and 06, and it was like MJ 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 96, 97, 98. It was like. Just as an all-around player and what he meant to the game, to me, he's still the best player ever. Now, I'm a, I'm a LeBron hater, so I've came a long way on LeBron to saying, like, he's most definitely in the top three players of all time. Top three? What? I know you're a LeBron <laughs> guy. I, I, uh, I'm i an MJ guy. So Okay, but who's – okay, if you if you consider number three, who's number two? He's probably the second best player of all time. Yeah. All right. Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I, I, I was I would say that I, I think um, you know I think you got to give some like I, I would say top five players MJ LeBron I think Bird is a top five player I think Kobe's a top five player and then from there I would I'll take a debate about who's yeah. five but it, it's hard to compare the older players yeah like Will Chamberlain uh, Bill Russell a lot of people like NBA players have Kareem up there yeah and like their top five. Obviously, leading or most scoring yeah. person ever, but I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me that he would be in the same level. But I haven't watched that much of him. I mean, his biggest skill was just longevity. Mm-hmm. Like he, I mean, he's same the LeBron. highest. Yeah, and that that is very impressive. Like what LeBron has done as far as like coming in the league. Okay, I'm gonna say nice things about him, which I shouldn't do. <laughs> what he's done as far as coming in the league with as much hype as he has and not letting that down is mm-hmm. impressive, and never being a an idiot. Like, I was just going to say, to come in the league in with that much hype mm-hmm. into like all things considered, as far as anybody knows, like, and I have never heard any different, being a good dad, being a good family man, mm-hmm. not getting in trouble off the court, like, it's pretty impressive. Like, yeah. to have the amount of hype and energy around him that he had at 17 years old, actually, 15 years old, like, very rarely do those guys not mess up, you know, and. So I thought he was amazing. Like, I, was, I liked him since he came in the league, but I, I thought he was amazing. You know, all the time, but I recently, like two years ago, read the book LeBron Inc. by Brian Windhorst. Mm-hmm. Totally, like this dude changed the way the athletes are paid now. Yeah, like, single-handedly, he changed the the way athletes are making money. He went from being like a use my name and my likeness for your company to make money and give me a piece of it to give me a piece of the business and I'll do business with you. So he's an owner instead of just like a, a marketing tool. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean he's gonna be worth a billion dollars and. Probably five years. Yeah, my my thing with him, like off the floor, I, I have no bones with LeBron. Some of the, some of the stuff he says, like I think it's just like, yeah, 
I agree. Like Jordan would have said that. Like yeah. even recently when he's saying like I'll never be one hundred percent again and saying some of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, everybody knows that. Like you're in your upper thirties, like, but that's an excuse to me. Like Jordan would have just been like, let's go. Like he's See, not. See, gonna... I think he he says that so people. I think he says that purposely. You think he's just a genius? Like, he's creating I, I controversy? Do. I do, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, because he's been playing the media. Like you said, media's been in his... He's been in the media for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I think he just knows the game. Like, Donald Trump just knows the media game. Yeah. And, I mean, they fucking hate him, but he knows how to play them. Any press is good press. That's <laughs> right, the yeah. motto. Yeah. And then, I mean, LeBron, the fact that he's won championships at three different organizations... That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, that's... How many players have done that? Is he the only one? I think he's the only one. Uh, well, no, that's not true. How, Robert Ory won with uh, just the Lakers and Spurs, or who else? Lakers, Spurs... I'm not sure. Okay, but LeBron won MVP with three yeah. teams. I know yeah. he's not going to do that. That's fucking nuts. No, I mean, you can't take away from LeBron. Like, anyone who tries to, then they're just being a hater. Yeah. Like, I'm not taking away from him, but I, I do think... I think, and he's came a long way, like, what bothered me, like, the first 10 or 12 years is I just didn't feel like he really, he got to be a better shooter, but I didn't think he developed too much. Like, he's a specimen. Like, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Like, he's he's the best athlete to ever play in the NBA. Maybe like, to ever live. He could play, he could walk, I, I'm convinced he could still walk on the football field at 35 or whatever he is and be in the NFL. Yeah. But just, like, I think with Jordan, what I like about him is every year, if you go throughout his career, you can see, like, he went into that offseason to get stronger. He went into that offseason to get a better jump shot. And, like, you can see that progression. But, yeah, it's a never-ending yeah. debate. It's the, tough yeah. because I, I think that uh, Michael Jordan was more about, like, I'm going to become the greatest basketball player of all time. And then LeBron's to me, seems like I'm going to become the greatest man of all time. Like, that's his. it seems like that's his goal. And he's just accomplishing so much on the court, off the court. And like you said, he's a specimen. He's a specimen in the fact that he's this six eight, six nine freak athlete. I don't know why I said that weird. Freak athlete, and then he's also like dominating business game, dominating yeah. media game. They said that this is off topic a little bit, but they said he spends over a million dollars every year on his body, just yeah. like on massage therapy, on everything he does to to be able to play for eighteen years or whatever it has been. Yeah. And that is impressive. Like I look at him, and I look at him in the same like light as Tom Brady. Like, as far as, like, just a dude who's been able to just stretch his career more than anybody else in the history of the sport. How many does Tom Brady have? Seven? Seven championships? Yeah, seven. And he's 43, I think. Still to play cool. football in the NFL at that age is unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Especially since physically you can tell he's just not the same that he was. Yeah. But the fact that he won a Super Bowl, like, last year, being old, not as good as he used to be, but his mind... Like, that's how you win championships. What I believe, truly, is like when Peyton Manning went to Denver, when a dude like that walks in your locker room, I think you win because how many people, like how 63 or however many other people are on the roster, every single one of them is like, I got to get better. Like, I got to bring it every day because Tom Brady's our quarterback. So I think your whole team gets better. And and has because those dudes aren't, are not putting up with like, lack of effort I mean they're just right. not and so you those players are smart enough to know like he's here everything just changed and it's a lot different when the quarterback is that guy not the coach right but yeah every coach wants you to work hard right but when this dude who's made 10 times more money than you is better than you'll ever be is coming in early every day and putting in the work like you don't have a choice you know that's like 
if your seniors on your high school team are the best players and the hardest workers, your freshmen through juniors are going to follow suit. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think those dudes just raise the level of everybody in the room. How do you teach young kids how to be leaders? Do some of them just have it? Obviously, yeah. they're not walking in the locker room and just like, oh, shit, it's that guy. It's Tom Brady. That's something, that's something we've really been like – struggling with slash like trying to figure out like we started a program last year called we're the Tigers so we started a program called Awaken the Tiger and one of my assistants is named Justin Masterson he was a pitcher in the major leagues for for a long time played for the uh, played for a bunch of different but the Red Sox the Indians bunch of a bunch of different teams he was MLB all-star in like 13 I think so anyways but he's like a really good dude and like once he's there more as like a leadership and culture role like he wants mm-hmm. to really impart that on younger kids so I worked with him to create this program called Awaken the Tiger, and it was all about, like, how are we going to develop leaders? Like, and so we started a leadership council, and, and that's been a challenge. Like, we have a lot of kids, especially in our, our community, who are, like, they got two parents. They, they have affluent parents. Their parents have kind of, like, held their hand their whole life and made things easy for them, and they're just not leaders. Like, they don't have to, like, do that because everything's taken care of for them. So, like that's a challenge i think some guys do have it like they have just a a natural thing where people want to follow them mm-hmm. and, and uh but i do think there's things you can do to develop it and that's what we're trying to work on the answer i'm not sure mm-hmm. I, I think that's a i listened to your podcast the other day with the dude who wrote the book i think that's a book you know how to develop leaders i think that should be something that i'm sure it is but like especially geared toward kids and like mm-hmm. youth athletes like it's just a missing piece like so many kids now aren't they don't talk like talking is really hard and to yeah. be a leader you have to talk mm-hmm. and for kids now it's even harder than when we were in high school because everything is if they have a problem they're going to solve it with text you know they're not going to go talk to somebody so like yeah. we try to develop that just like giving our guys a voice in something that matters i think hopefully we'll start to develop leaders like you know they have a voice in how we're doing things how we're running things if they have a problem i want them to be able to communicate that like especially our le- like we have two leaders in each grade that we hope that they start to develop that leadership voice so when they get out of high school they'll have it but it's now do you tell them that hey you're a, you're a leader so well we I, actually I do we have a leadership council and we actually we have their teammates vote and then our coaches vote so there's two kids per grade on the council and one is chosen by their teammates and one's chosen by the coaches interesting so then we meet with those kids like once a month and have a breakfast and basically do a lesson with them like a leadership lesson and uh Last year was like the pilot year, so it's developing. But I think it was productive. You know, it gives them a voice. I think, you know, if your teammates voted you as the best leader and then you come in at practice and you're giving me crap effort, like, I, that's like a license for me to just tear yeah. you up. Like, yeah. hey, your teammates thought you were a leader, but yeah. you're clearly not. You know, that's – so those guys end up being hard workers because they want to – they, they – uh, most of them, I think, really enjoy the fact that their teammates look at them as that yeah. guy. And it ends up course, being your yeah. hardest worker a lot of time. Okay. You know, like, so. Yeah, I mean, how often is it the harder, hardest worker and the best player? Yeah. Right now, our um, one of our best players is also our hardest worker. So he, he is he's our leader. Yeah. You know, you can be the best player and, you like, naturally you get some type of leadership, like, because you're the best player. But if your best player doesn't talk and doesn't work hard, you know what I'm saying, then people aren't going to follow him. Like, yeah. he's just talented. But if, if you're the best player and you also work hard, I mean, you have free reign to say, for me, you can say whatever you want. Like, mm. you, it's your it's your team. It's not mine. Yeah. Like, that's why I try to tell him, like, 
I'm gonna be able to do this for 40 years if I want. Like I can coach. Yeah. You get you get a limited finite time. Even as a player, I mean, even if you go on to play college or pro, like short life. You know, you don't have much time with this. So like, it's your team take ownership of it. And for us, we're lucky that our our best players work hard. But then if you get in the situation where your best players don't work hard, that's where I I just think you don't have a good team. I mean, you yeah. don't have if you if your best players aren't your leaders, then it's going to be hard yeah. to be successful. How hard is it to get them to communicate on the court? That's a challenge. I mean, it's something we have to practice every day. Yeah. Like we'll have managers stat like if there's been 3 if there's been more than like 3 seconds without someone saying something, it's like a it's a notch and that's a down and back at the end. Of, you know, we'll do stuff mm-hmm. like that okay. sometimes, but like we want constant communication. But we also like we print out uh, I'm good. We print out like uh sheets of them like terms we use on offense terms we use on defense and like we give them keywords that we want them to be saying so we try to teach them everybody says talk 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 like communicate we try to talk to them about like what what needs to be said on the floor and like Mm -hmm. you know we'll have different things like colors color schemes to for our ball screen defense and things that we want to hear them saying and it's a challenge man it's it's not in AAU there's not a lot of coaches making them talk you know it's right. it's once they get to high school it's the first time they've been held accountable for that so how okay so second part of this question is how hard is it to get them to communicate when they're on the road in a big ass school and that big ass school just went on like a eight point straight run and your team's like barely holding it together how's that leadership work so we had how I mean hard that, is it to teach teenagers to keep composed in that situation? Yeah, that was our challenge this year. Like we, we went fourteen and seven and, and split the conference title, which has only been done one other time in school history. So we had a good year. But we were like nine and one on the at home. Like all our losses pretty much were on the road. And it's because we had a young team. We only started one senior. So really? it's just young guys who in those situations didn't communicate. Yeah. And, and if you don't, you're gonna lose. You know, so we uh it's just it's a constant development process with that. Like, and then them seeing like, Hey, and, and I asked him at the end of the year and I have it on the board right now. Like, what are the areas we need to get better at? Like as a team, you guys got to know. And it was like self-awareness, like knowing who you are and who should be shooting. So like that communication. And like, those are like the two biggest things everybody said. So self-awareness If every basketball player had self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, Damn. that was good for me. Cause it's like, Hey, the stuff we're saying, they're starting to hear, you yeah. know, they're starting to understand that it's important, but yeah, if if you had the answer to how you get every kid to be leaders and talk, then you go coach anywhere you want yeah. in the world. I mean, that's the that's the key question. Yeah, yeah, I bet I can't even imagine one just like being around young teenage boys or guys all the time. I'm sure that's kind of um, I'm sure you're better at handling it than I would be because you're practiced at it. But even just like kids at the gym that are like young and yeah, it's a challenge. You know, I try to. Young coaches sometimes get into the, the pitfall of being their buddies too much. You know, I try to balance it like, hey, I'm going to relate with you more than maybe a guy who's 65 is going to. Mm-hmm. But there's a clear line between, like, I'm your coach and you're the player. And, and they understand that. Like, it's pretty clear. But at the same time, like, I'm willing to sit down and, and listen to a new J. Cole song with them that some 65-year-old coach <laughs> probably wouldn't, you know. so we. But building those relationships is why they let me coach them hard. You know, like, because they know I, I do care yeah. about them. You know, they know it's not just – I'm not just using them for – for our team but um you know they know that there's background to it we've built that relationship so at the end of the day if i get on them or or demand something out of them they know it's coming from the right spot yeah so i'm going to switch back up family life right you have a son 
I know, like, having a son, so I have a son, I have a daughter on the way. I haven't really told anybody, so. Hey, everybody, have a daughter <laughs> coming. Um, what's it like for you to, I know your son's really young. How are you teaching him the way that life works already? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. It's like, tough. you know, what do I, what are the lessons I want to teach my son? What kind of father do I want to be? How do I want to how do I want to lead in that regard? You know, like I've kind of established how I want to lead my players and things like that, but how do I want to lead as a father? And you, when you start to look at life through that lens, you start to realize your weaknesses mm. really quick. At oh, least, at least yes. I did, oh, you know, yes. like, <laughs> like I'm a, uh, I'm short tempered. I, uh, am impatient. You know, those things like that I already kind of knew, like when you have a son, you start thinking like, I don't want him to be like this. I don't want him to be like this. Yep. I don't want him to see me lose my temper and think that's how you're supposed to respond. Yeah. You know, like I, I saw a Jocko video today and he was talking about yelling. And he was like, when you yell, he's like, it's a sign of weakness. Basically, right. like you're proving to your employees or whoever that you, you can't handle your emotions. And he's like, their respect for you is going like this mm-hmm. that entire time. He's like, so don't do it. You know, like handle your emotions and like, that's kind of a <clears throat> the males of my family that's like the default like when yeah. you get pissed you just yell and you make everybody know that you're right and that's just how it's <laughs> been you know and so like those things are like how am i going to break my weaknesses so that way i don't pass them to my son yeah that, that's been a huge thing for me and it's something about, I'm, i have it's been like you you learn like okay there have been these these uh traits that have been passed on from father to son father to son the last three or four generations in the family it has to stop with me yeah, like same thing. So my dad would lose his temper really quick. I can remember being a kid and be like, "I'm never gonna be like that." And so, like personally, I'm pretty even keel almost at all times because of that. So, like trying to learn how to like stop that cycle. One thing I really want to work on. I don't know if I'm ever going to. Is my father had a curse like a sailor? I just about said I fucking curse all yeah. the time. I literally just curse all the time i don't want my son to do that yeah so it's hard like figuring out those things that need to stop with me you know what i mean do you have any others like other than short temper i would say the anger is the biggest thing um and then this the communication aspect like yeah. you know me and the males in my family like i come from a long line of military people so mm-hmm. like uh you do your job you do it you go home and even if you hate your job you do it to support your family and that's just the way it is but like talking about emotions and feelings and, and what you think about life just didn't happen. Yeah. Still doesn't happen. You know, like we'll go, my, me and my dad will go sit and have a beer or whatever, but it's not, you know, there's not a lot of deep conversations that happen. Yeah. And I want to be able to do that with my son and mm-hmm. with my wife, even like open it up more to her and, and things like that. That's a big one. Like showing that it's okay as, as a male to think deeper than, than just talking about basketball, you know, which I love talking about basketball. Obviously yeah, yeah, we just yeah. did it, but like that's a challenge for me is to be willing to like, show him that and that's some the anger and then that are the two things i want to be able to break you know and just that he doesn't ever he doesn't see the things that i you know saw in that regard and it's not like i have a great relationship with my dad it's not like he right you know and he says you know your son should have a healthy fear of your father and i actually believe that i I, I do believe that but i think you can do it in a different way a Mm -hmm. little bit and that's what i'm trying to find that balance with anything like you know it's a dichotomy of there should be a healthy fear there should be a respect but doing it in emotion, I think, is the problem. Yeah. It's like, this happens, so I snap. Yeah. That's the issue. Not like, here's the standard, and if you don't stick to that, there's consequences. You know, that's that's a different kind of fear. I'm sure coaching is probably going to help you a lot with that. Well, yeah, but also I have to know that, like, how I respond in coaching 
like that short temper comes out, you know. Okay. So like, I got to be able to break doing that with my players, and then come home and be different. Yeah. But then I start thinking like, well, if I was coaching my son, how would I feel if I was doing this? Yeah. You know, if I was getting on him like this, and it, it's different in that environment. Obviously, like, it's a competitive environment with seventeen, eighteen year olds. Like they're men to me. Like mm-hmm. I mean, they're kids, but they're they're about to be men. So yeah. that's different. Like you're trying to win. You're you're in. A, you're in the heat of the moment, like things are said, things go down, and, and that's okay if you have those relationships. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to talk that way at home or right, at the dinner yeah. table. You know, it's, it's just different. So <laughs> Yeah, I yelled at my son just a couple of days ago. Like, not really, like, you know, hardcore yelling, but he's only one. He yeah. just started crying. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, shit, man. I didn't yeah. mean it like <laughs> He that. doesn't know any it's better. It's not that deep. Yeah. Ugh. And that's yeah. something I'm trying to figure out now is, like, you know, my son just turned one in, on, in April, and I'm just like, when do when do I start disciplining and how does that look? You yeah. know, how does that look and it's hard. What type of discipline are we gonna do? And you know, you, I see a lot of people around and parents that I don't think a lot of parents discipline at all anymore. I like I, I see a lot of kids that are just running the show, like mm-hmm. eight year olds who are just like running the show, and that's just not how I believe it should be. Like, Dude, I'm gonna cut you off a fan fucking tastic book that I started reading. It's called Raising Lions. I have it on Audible Dude, right now. How yeah, good I've is listened it? to about half of it. I yeah, need to get back so into good. it. Yeah, it's good. And you see all these so like, you know, you have family that has young kids, you have friends that have young kids, or you just see young kids out and about and you see all these behavioral things that like this book talks about. I'm like, man, just put that kid you know, tell that kid what needs to go on, like yeah. put your foot down, stop letting the kid run the show like you yeah. just said. But that book is I Yeah, love it's really it. good. I'm gonna get back to finishing that i kind of took a break from like listening or reading the books i I got in the same situation you do like i was during COVID, i was i wanted to i've always wanted to write a book and i was writing like a fiction novel type thing so i'm i've like seventy thousand words so it's not done but it's it's pretty big that's That's pretty cool different podcast to get into that whole plot and everything but i was just realizing that i like read a decent amount but listen to a ton but Mm -hmm. am i actually absorbing it so i was like i'm gonna take a break and i was starting a new job and i've kind of like this past six months haven't really read or listened to a ton so i need to get get back to it um good thing it's not on youtube right, <laughs> right, right. i would have told you earlier <laughs> um, but but yeah so i uh i want to get back to listen to that book i was going somewhere with that and then i just lost my train of thought no my bad that's my fault then what's your uh now i gotta ask what's the non-fair what's the fiction book about all right, so I'll give, like, the brief synopsis. But now it's, like, I started this in, like, 2015, like, when I was just out of college. And I, mm-hmm. like, kind of worked on it and then stopped. Mm-hmm. Kind of worked on it and stopped. And then COVID hit, and I was like, oh, I got this free time. So I wrote a ton. So now I have enough to, like, if I would sit down for, like, three months and, like, every night write a little bit, I could have a, a book. But it's basically, the, the moral of the story is, like, which is crazy because some of it, like, came to fruition. Like, it was, like, right when people were talking about Trump being president that I started, like, thinking about this. And I was like, after his presidency, like, they went so far, you know, there was so much controversy that, like, crime started to go up because it went so far in the other direction. And then, like, it's kind of happening, so I'm like, yeah, this is weird. Yeah, really fucking happening. Um, but, like, crime rates skyrocketed. Anyways, this this guy, this the main character basically finds out that his wife was raped in college. Fuck. So he ends up, like, plotting. He's a former military guy. He ends up, like, plotting to kill the dude. Well, the dude is, like, a senator of the United States. So, anyways, it goes to, like, his whole process of, like, murdering this dude. Like, two weeks later, he gets, like, a knock on the door. It's, like, two dudes, and they say, you got to come with us. And he thinks it's, like, cops. Like, he's getting arrested. Well, it, he they take him to, like, a secret place and basically explain to him that, like, crime is so high that, like, police departments can't keep up with it. And they know what he did to the senator. And, and they're basically creating a secret organization that just, like, 
kills bad people. Like, so okay. they, they want him to come work for him. So, That's like, cool. basically, instead of, like, going through the court process, like, if it's a rapist or someone who they know is a murderer, like, they just are taking care of him. And, and like, <laughs> it's like a secret organization started by the president, and they saw how he killed the senator. They know he did it, but it was clean, and they want him to come work for He's former military, so he's going to – so it goes through his process of, like, his wife, you know, it's kind of like two stories, like that, but then also the dynamic with his wife. Like his wife realizes that like he did it, so she leaves him. Like I can't be with a murderer, you yeah. Know, even yeah. though she understands, so he's like bouncing like his kids and his wife, and then like possibly becoming like a government hired assassin. So it's that's like, pretty cool. So I, I, I like it. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cool premise. But uh, I haven't I haven't finished it yet. So I'm I need to work on it. Just I got too many irons in the fire, so I don't really yeah, work on it. But um, oh, what I was gonna say is like. I was about the raising lions. I was talking to someone. They were like, when, like in the 80s, you know, 70s, when the kids, their life was dictated by the parents' life. Mm-hmm. Like if the kids were going to card night with their family or with their friends, the kids would come and sit over there and play with marbles and the parents would smoke cigarettes and play cards. Yeah. Like now in today's world, the parents' life is dictated by the kids. Like everything is about like, you know, little Johnny's got baseball. We got to do this. And everything now with parents today probably because when they were kids it was the opposite so they're trying to fix it mm-hmm. is now all about the kids yep. well the problem with that is like that's not real life you yeah know, that's not you can't let three-year-olds run your life and that's what i i mean i see it a ton and i know everybody else does and i think that's where like you don't want your and i've heard other people talk about this so i'm not like doing anything groundbreaking but you don't want your kid to have a hard life but especially when you're successful or you have more money than you did when you grew up or whatever you try to make your kid's life easy well then you know, just that, just that quote that I know I've I've heard people say before is like, "Good times create weak men." Mm-hmm. You know, hard times create strong men. Whatever the quote is, it's like we're basically creating weak men or weak mm-hmm. people, not just men, because we're as parents, people are trying so hard to make their kids' life easy, yeah. and it's just, it's just not reality. And yeah. then they're gonna get out in the real world, and like, all they do is stare at a phone, so they they can't talk. You mm-hmm. know, they don't have any resiliency because their parents took care of everything, and it's like that's a challenge that's something I constantly think about with my son like okay how am I gonna take care of him and give him every opportunity but not make his life easy yeah so it's like a weird like okay I had to go through this I wouldn't ever want my son to go through it but it was also maybe one of the best things that ever happened to me so it's like finding that balance between like okay what's what's hard and what's just fucking should have been avoided yeah like that's a tough balance to find and then I also find like my wife you know, she's a great mother, and she's going to be a great disciplinarian, but she also, like, sometimes just kind of lets it go, like, kind of lets Roman decide what's going to be going on. It's it's hard to get the mother, particularly, to be on board with, like, that, hey, we're the parents, we dictate what happens, period. And I don't know if you have that same problem, but that's been, I mean, it's not been a big deal, but it definitely happens once in a while where it, and it's she harder. tries to let him run the house. I'm just like, no, that's not how this family's going to work. Yeah, and it's harder at least in my situation, same thing, but it's hard for her because she's there all day. Right. Yeah. You know, like, she's there all day, so she's, like, worn out. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's a little easier if he just kind of does his thing or whatever, mm-hmm. and I get home, and I, you know, I haven't been with him all day, so it's a little different. So, like, it's, it's tough to balance that, too. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's kind of what leaders have to do, make tough, yeah. tough choices. Especially, you know, leader of a family. I think that, I consider that to be my most important job. You know, I'm a leader of a business, but I'm also, more importantly, a leader of a family that I hope is a family that does really good things for the next couple hundred years. Like, it starts with me. And 
it's important that I do the right thing. Yeah, and I think that's there's a lot of um, this is probably controversial, but there's a lot of like really strong women today, you know, and that's a good thing. But I think sometimes that that also is like there's a lot of complacent men in relationships who just like you know uh, allow anything to happen and don't really have a say in their family's direction. And I'm not saying they need to take control. I'm not saying they need to take control, but they should have a say and they should care. Oh, I you think know, they should, they should be invested. I'm going to go all the way, all the way on that side of like, if you're a man, you need to run your fucking family, period. That's, that's where I'm at. Uh, I don't care how controversial that is. I think that's my role as a father and leader of the family is like, I lead the family, period. And, I have a great, strong wife, and she agrees. She thinks the same thing. And that's just like any business. You're going to create a vision for your business. There should be a vision for your family. Like, Amen. where are you headed? What What is the goal for your family, your direction, your kids? And that's something that, when for me, I get so wrapped up in my job and coaching mm-hmm. that sometimes everybody talks about balance. It's not really balance because in season, I'm out of balance. Like, right, when, when yeah. we play – Balance is tough, man. Yeah. I don't know if anybody has balance. Yeah. But there but as long as in the grand scheme of a year there's some type of balance or some mm-hmm. type of and uh you know, the energy I put toward our family vision is gonna be different in those times than it is like right now I have some more free time. So like right. but as long as that's in the forefront of your mind, I think a lot of people it's not. Like yeah. I think we some people just kinda aimlessly go. I mean you got someone you love, you got kids, it's great, but like is there a vision just like you would have for a business or a basketball team or something like that? And that's something we all can constantly improve on. I feel like I talk a lot about the importance of vision. I think that's um, potentially the number one, potentially number one key to success, obviously hard work, that kind of stuff. But if you don't have a vision, you can work your ass off and not really get anywhere. So to me, vision is one of the most important things you can possibly do for yourself, your family, your business. Um, I, it's my number one strength is being able to see out 20, 30, 40 years in the future and pick out where I want to be and then help my family or my business get there. And I mean, for you as a basketball coach, you know, can't maybe look out 40 years, but you can look out on your career 40 years and see what you need to do there. Um, but yeah, vision to me is like the most important thing you could possibly give to anybody. And that's for me personally, like the last six months or whatever, I've probably not put enough time in like honing that vision yeah. you know like I, I have one and it's like loosely always there and kind of guide you but like taking over a new job in the middle of COVID having a son at the same time like it's just been a been a little wild so some mm-hmm. some things have taken a back seat and like really focusing on what's next in the future has, has kind of been one of those things that's why when you ask me like the college question it's like man I'm not thinking about that enough like yeah. what the route is going to be but at the same time, I, I do believe to an extent, like you got to have a vision, but also like you got to put the work in. And like if you're putting the work in, like generally what's supposed to happen is going to happen. Because you can also have a vision and, and not do anything. You know, you can also, it's not going to take care of itself. Just be a dreamer. Yeah. You yeah. got to have both. I used to be um, just a dreamer. You know, I've always kind of worked hard, but I used to be just a dreamer. And then eventually made that transition to a worker and a dreamer. Um, the best thing I think I could have done for myself. But being a dreamer was important for me too. Yeah, but brother man, fucking appreciate you coming. I appreciate I know you're you. busy as hell, so I know we got to go. But uh, any final words you want to leave? No, I, I didn't get to talk about it much, but uh, just because I I uh, used to say it a lot, the get up and get it thing. Everybody thinks it's about getting up and, and working out. So I just want to clarify that it's not really about that. It's about 
no matter what you have in life, you need to get up and get it. Like you get got a problem. Like if Jeremy and I got beef, like I need to get up and go solve that problem. Like I just feel like we put off so much. And part of that is working out. Like some people work out in the evening. I can't do that. Like I, I just tell you right now, if I wait until the evening to work out, it's not going to be as good and it's not going to happen. Like I got to get up and get it. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're facing, whatever you need to handle, get up and get it. Take care of it. And it's going to, if you if, don't let five minute problems or a 55 minute workout turn to a lifelong problem, like it's simple, take care of it, get up and get it. And you'll feel better about it when you're done. Get up and get it, folks. I love that. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming. Appreciate you. Thank you. Goodbye, my friends. Ciao.